When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. Hello, brethren. Welcome to another edition of Talking Real Money, the podcast that is a financial religious experience. We're here to help guide you on the path to righteous investing and a better financial future. I'm Reverend Don. That's Pastor Pete. Oh, wait, no, Tom. Can I be the or bishop or something if you're going to be anyway? No, right. you are not a bishop. You cannot okay. be a bishop. All right. Sorry. Helping. Not. Right. If you drift away from the podcast from time to time, I'm sorry you don't take it seriously enough to be bishop. <laughs> true. Hello Very again, true. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. One of the things that we like to do regularly on Talking Real Money, the All Money All the Time podcast, is to reinforce some of the very important basic rules of investing. And um, uh, several years ago, I actually sat down on a vacation and tried to compile what I believed were the immutable laws and, well, some theories of real investing to make it really simple for everybody. And I called those laws financial physics. Now, I think it has the makings of a best-selling book, but I never actually rent it by a publisher anywhere to see if anybody would actually publish it. I just did it myself. So it's available on Amazon, or you can read it as a PDF for free on Apple Books or whatever you want to do. Um, but in financial physics, I tried to cover the basics of investing. And there are some of the those rules that really do bear reiterating regularly because they're so important in the process of building the right portfolio for your future. Now, this week I said we should do one for this episode and Tom Tom chose from the good book. Yeah, I did. Can I read one of the uh, the reviews though first cuz I love this review. There's a review? Yeah, there's a review on the back of it. Uh praise for fine praise for financial physics. You'll <laughs> see that religious component again. Uh, it says humor. Say hallelujah. Does it say say hallelujah? <laughs> humor typically missing from financial books. Financial physics fills that void, which makes the valuable insights in this book relatable and actionable. Kudos to Don McDonald. Read it, laugh, and prosper. Do you remember who said that? Who did I trick into doing that? Uh, <laughs> it's not your wife, so that was good. No, no, no. Not no. my wife, because she no. wouldn't read oh, the wait. book. I think that was Dan Solon. It was Dan Solon, so thank you, Dan, for that. So, yeah, we're going to the Don, the book of Don, Rule 17 today, right? Reading from the book of Don. There you rule go. 17. And the title of this chapter is, and this is going to relate again, yeah. Diversification Saves. How it does relate again. Yeah, it does. Kind of works. Yeah. Ladies um, and gentlemen. All right, go I'm, ahead. Well, no, I mean, this is so important, but so fascinating. Again, met with someone this week who says, I don't want to take any risk. I never want to see the value of my portfolio go down. Okay. You probably should be in a bank mm -hmm. or like instrument. 
Well, it turns out that, yeah, he's got 25% of his money in a Roth IRA in cash. And then the rest, guess what it's in? Individual stocks, individual, like 30 Excuse individual. Excuse me. Did this it, person say they wanted no risk? No risk. And they own individual stocks? Individuals. And you, in this chapter, do such a great job of describing what were the greatest companies, MCI, WorldCom, Delta, and Enron, right? They were hot properties they, back boy, in the they 90s. Were, they, were, they were. That was it. And we, mm-hmm. I don't want to go through all the reasons, but I mean, Enron was, you know, the up-and-comer energy company. That was firing the bottom 20% every year. I mean, they were happening, man. They were making it all go. And Delta was rated, what, the best global airplane? Best global airline. Airline, pardon me. And MCI WorldCom. Oh, my God. They were killing AT&T. They were just, they were a behemoth. They were one of the early cellular providers. And the approximate price of 100 shares of of those companies went from somewhere around 11,000, about 15,000 to about zero in 10 years. Mm-hmm. From those three, mm-hmm. if you had hundred shares of each one. So, I mean, diversification is so critical yet. I'll be honest with you because I look at like five new portfolios a week. Almost no one has proper diversification. Almost no one. It's shocking. So this book talks about diversification. It talks about the fact that uh, <laughs> it's not the S&P 500, which we'll touch on again for obvious reasons, but it's not individual securities. Individual securities are risky. I mean, in this guy's portfolio, 5% of the money was in one company. So if that company went bye-bye, like these aforementioned right. world and, and, beaters, and I'm you're sorry, I don't care how good you think the company is that you invest in or work for at any moment. And they don't tell you in advance. Oh, nope. people say, well, I'll know when it's going to go ah, down. Yeah, sure you will. I'll be able to tell. No, you won't. It'll be too late because they're really good at not telling anybody because if they told somebody in advance, then that they, it would be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the it largest would- trust bank in the world was right here in our neighborhood called Washington Mutual. I had friends working with that I knew that were friends for a long time working there. And they told me, Days before, we're going to we get this figured out. Somebody's going to rescue us. Stock's going to be okay. All gone. And they had like yep. 20% of their 401k in company stock because they believed in it. So clearly yep. diversification here's is the pro- here's not the owning Diversific- individuals. Div- diversifying your portfolio is just so blasted easy. Because now think about this for a minute. If you wanted to truly diversify in individual stocks, you would probably need to own somewhere in the vicinity of five to 10,000 different stocks. It's a lot of record keeping. Yeah. Imagine what you'd have to do to rebalance. It's kind of hard, but I'm going to take one more step back before that, because true diversification is stocks and bonds. This is the part that people overlook. Well, how much do you have in each one? Well, I don't know. Well, you need to know that. That's the first part of because bonds and stocks are very different securities. Bonds are a guarantee of sorts, right? I mean, they're an IOU. Yeah, I was going to say they're a note. It was I got a I I I got a, a question from somebody, and and we I looked at BND versus VT over the past few years, and <laughs> my goodness, they moved in lockstep, didn't they? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because bonds have had a very tough time, but over the long haul, bonds have made less with less volatility, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is, a, and the right type of bonds should be the bedrock of your portfolio. So that's step one of diversification. We absolutely free 
for anybody offer the risk quiz. We go take at talkingrealmoney.com, click on risk quiz that will help you understand how much you should have in the riskier things like stocks, how much in less risky things, because stocks are investments in companies. And Don correctly in his book, chapter 17, shows you three great companies. I just mentioned a fourth that were world beaters that were then stock went to zero. I mean, this is what happens with individual firms. So stocks versus bond first, but then stock diversification. Let's touch on this, Don, because Mm -hmm. again, I see the biggest mistake people make is I'm in the S&P 500 and I'm diversified, right or wrong. Well, yes, you're diversified, but not as well diversified as the academic research says you should be. Because while the S&P 500 has done very well historically, it's been around since the 70s, um, the, uh, the other parts of the market, the small companies, remember decades ago, Apple was a small cap company. And you wouldn't have owned it if you were buying the S&P 500. You wouldn't have gotten it until after it had become a, a giant company. You would have missed all of that amazing gain in many little small cap companies, Microsoft and, and NVIDIA and all of these, Tesla and whomever, you know, all this whole mass of little companies that became giants and most of their gain happened from as a percentage from when they were babies until they became giants. Then we got a couple of those here in the Northwest, Microsoft, you may have heard of Amazon, maybe Starbucks and kind of Costco, some companies that came from nowhere. Yeah. So, okay. So back to that, because this is where the practical part of this really plays. I think absolutely important. Yes. You can own the S and P 500, but then yes, you should own us small companies and value companies, both big and small. And as Don points out in his book, a substantial amount of your holding should go to international stocks the same way, big, small growth and value. But most people simply do not. They overlook that entire part, which now is about what 40% of the world's stocks are in those, in those portfolios. I mean, in those countries. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, is that 10 years ago, it was 50% that was international. And so right now, it's, you know, everybody, everybody says, well, why do I own those international stocks? The U S stocks have done so much better. You own the international because the U S stocks have done so much better. See the key word in that sentence, I tried to emphasize it have done so much better. Yeah. Right. We, in the future, those international stocks might blow the U.S. stocks out of the water like they did between 2000 and 2010. People forget that. It's a recency bias that says the U.S. large firms are going to be great forever. So to stock diversification, big U.S. companies, small U.S. companies, growth companies like the ones Don mentioned, and value companies that you probably don't know. They're beaten down. You got to own those. Same thing internationally and then international In addition to having developed countries, you need to have emerging markets, Brazil, India, China, places that are riskier, they're growing, but the expectation is, again, they're sort of undervalued over time. You're putting money into a place that the expectation is the growth rate will be better. But what about the other part of diversification, Don? Bond 
diversification. Diversifying within bonds? Well, um, it, it, there are various bonds are actually a trickier subject, I believe, than stocks. The whole idea of bonds, as, as I've said many a times, many times going back decades, I love the idea of laddering CDs, but it doesn't work well because of people's emotional biases and, and behavior. So, uh, you don't want long. The one thing we know you don't want in the bond market is anything long-term because you're taking on risk that is not commensurate with the returns you receive. When you get a 30-year bond in a portfolio, you could suffer huge swings in value as interest rates change over that time. The other kind of bond that gets a little tricky to own are corporates. Corporate bonds are not only subject to the volatility that are uh, that's caused by interest rate swings, but they're also dangerous in many respects because they are tied to the health of the company. An Enron bond today is worth about the same as Enron stock. Nothing. Not a whole lot. Yeah. Okay. So, but for bonds, and remember what the bond part of your portfolio should be there for is stability. Yeah. yeah, you really want it. So think that through. Should you be taking risk with this? Another mistake I see people oftentimes they look at their portfolio and go, wait, those stocks have made 8% this year. My bonds only made two. What's wrong? Why am I not only? Made? No, the bonds are there to keep you in the game when stocks go down. And I want to mention one more thing about stock diversification. Yes, it's been important, but it won't save you in times of great crisis. In 2008, basically all stocks went down. Right. It, you right. got crushed. It was a very difficult time. So don't count on stock diversification doing that. I think over time, it will give you some additional protection from being centered in just the U.S. and in large companies and hopefully add a little return as it's done over the long haul. But do not count on diversification for saving you in a downturn. That's when you look to the fixed income or bond part of your portfolio. And even that failed recently. So you have yeah. to expect with any portfolio that there will be some kind of volatility within it from time to time. And the only answer is to stick it out. Because if you try to time it out, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Thus endeth the lesson from Rule 17 of the Book of Don. Otherwise we known as a, financial physics. Do we have like a psalm or something that goes here? No. no? Okay. I'll put something. Would you like something? I'll put I something. Like something. Make me feel good about my childhood. I'll, I'll All put right. A got time. A little time for questions here. Oh, wait. Let's huh? wait for the choir to finish. Okay. Wow. They sound good today. I got to <laughs> say, that's <laughs> really good stuff. All right. Uh, this comes from Timothy in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Apparently, old Smyrna Beach wasn't good enough, so he moved to New Smyrna Beach. What, no, I, I think mean, old is there an old Smyrna Thermo Beach is, is like, old it, I think I that's know. over in Greece. That was okay. Oh, I see. Beach. So this is the new world yeah. Smyrna Beach. Got mm -hmm. it. All right. Uh, I have two, two five year principal guaranteed annuities that will mature next April. They both have been paying me 3.5% return, and I've been receiving monthly payments from these. I did this to supplement my pension before I started collecting Social Security. These annuities represent two thirds of my retirement saving, the other third is in my 401k invested in various stock indexes. Um, the question is, I'm 64, wondering your opinion on what I should do with the money in the annuities. I don't need the money for the next five years. I do have other money in saving for emergencies. Well, that the good news here is um, you don't have to keep it in an annuity. 
because uh, and I don't believe you're going to be subject to any surrenders at this point. I nope, would imagine. doesn't sound like it. I would hope not. Uh, you've paid in tr- uh, in- income tax on all the interest, so there shouldn't be any tax ramifications of this. So you could move out of an annuity. And uh, uh, personally, I think that moving out of an annuity is probably the best bet because you can get better diversification. But the trick is you got to figure, you said you don't need it for five years. That's not the real issue here. Need is part of the equation. But the other part is how much volatility can you stand? How much can you take? Because if you can take a little bit of volatility and you don't need, you only need some of it in five years, you need to derive an income from it. You could build a portfolio that was partially in the stock market that would give you the potential for much greater returns over the decades to follow. Uh, and you could withdraw an income from that. And we believe you could, if you have a bo- stock bond portfolio, you can probably draw four to 5% per year and still keep the principal intact or even growing. I love the fact that Timothy realized that the, the part that makes sense is around income. Most people look at annuity and think of about the guaranteed principal and how much they're making on it. Right. Because in this case, he says I made three point five percent a year. I'm with you. I'd rather have liquidity, flexibility and uh, and potential greater returns, not sharing those with an insurance company. And that's exactly what happens when the insurance company today gives you five, which is about what you're going to get. They're going to try and make and will succeed, by the way, because they're good at this. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, I would guess they're going to succeed at making dramatically more than the five they're paying you. That's how they make money. All right. This one comes from William in beautiful Decatur, Georgia. Says, my wife and I are retired, fortunate enough to have more than enough income from Social Security, pension, and IRA to live comfortably for the foreseeable future. Over the years, between our investments and inheritances, we've been able to accumulate over $5 million in our investment account. Fantastic. Good job. And assets spread across ETFs like VT, AVUV, and VBR. Never withdrawing assets from the investment account and hope to never need to do so. The question really is around leaving this to others. They've got a grandchild with special needs. Be good to concentrate more on growth assets than the ones that pay dividends. The assets name plus some money market funds are spinning off about 2% a year in dividends and interest. That's about 120K, which is taxable at 30%. That's a combined federal and state. The question here from William is, are there certain exchange traded funds you would recommend that might be more growth oriented and produce somewhat less in taxable income? It's an interesting question. Less than that. I mean, what he's getting is in the realm of money. Indeed. It's pretty close. Pretty low. Um, well, pretty close to the average. I mean, the average. Yeah, no, that business, what I'm saying is to find something that is below that, um, you know, small company funds are going to pay out of far less in dividends, small cap funds. Yep. Uh, they're I'm trying to think if anybody has a tax managed exchange ETF. traded I know, fund. I know Vanguard has um, some very good tax-managed mutual funds. Which you could use. That would reduce the tax bill the thirty on the 30%. That would be helpful. Yeah. Um, and it probably has good growth. As I mean, what he's talking about is earn, I mean, money, making money there rather than paying it out, correct? 
Yeah, and I, let me just look one up on Morningstar because I haven't looked up a tax managed fund in so long. Uh, let's see, Vanguard. Oh man, I have to call Morningstar and complain about how. Slow Do they have people there that actually answer the phones? Well, I don't know. I'm media. I can call the media number. I see, and they might answer it and tell they you. Might we'll get back that. to you in four see, weeks. We go or- to the tax managed. Capital appreciation. Let's try that. Oh, that's a good idea. Sure. Let's see what happens. That and see what it looks like. We're doing all this real time. I know this is exciting for you because play along on your computer. You can type the same thing in um, right now. Expense ratio is uh, wow, very low at nine basis points. Uh, Love that. Though what? Yeah, and their yield is uh, it's it's a capital appreciation. Yield is about 1.35, which is lower. They've managed to keep the dividend yield down to a dull roar. So you're not going to pay as much in taxes, which appears to be an issue for William, both between state and federal taxes, which is good. And if it's capital appreciation, the idea here is you're hopefully making money. Capital well, is appreciating, right? to avoid paying out uh, capital gains. So they do some tax managing within the portfolio to sell things, to take losses, to offset distri- distributions of gains. So uh, that might be an option. Ca- go, go and what's the ticker on that one? The cap, uh, capital appreciation is VTCLX. VTCLX. There's also a small cap uh, oh. tax-managed fund. And what's the what's the payout on that one? Well, you're going to make me look that one up yeah, now, too? I, you're, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to be doing every single day yeah, while locked in your small you, room. Give me the question before I... I know, and, and I feel badly that I put you on the spot with these things, but not oh, too oh, you, badly. You do. You honestly not feel too badly. badly. A little badly, but I not really yet. I don't believe you. Okay. <laughs> tax-managed VTMSX. Yeah. VTMSX. Yeah. Small cap. Small cap. With oh yield of one point six nine. Okay, so higher. I was wondering what that would be. Yeah. So, oh wait, there's one other. Let's of course there one. is. No, these are all Vanguard idea. funds, and the idea behind these funds is they're managed to have fewer tax consequences than you might with a fund that doesn't care. They don't care what they're paying I'm out. Curious. I'm just curious to see because this is interesting. Oh my gosh, how do they do this? The Vanguard tax managed balanced. Okay. Balanced. So that stocks and bonds is what I'm getting? Yeah. Okay. You would so expect. Right. Because there's going to be interest payments, et cetera. Yeah. But ready for the yield? How big? Two. Wow. And Two. it's balanced. Yeah. They own 3,000 bonds and 900 stocks. I don't know. It's magic. But remember, one of the things that it's William not, wanted well was growth. Yeah, and, and he wanted growth for the future. I know. I was get just this interested money away. in seeing how they managed to get a balance down yeah, to how that. How do they do that? Of, Which uh, is very good. Yeah. So those are some options, William. And uh, wow, good for you and your family. That's terrific that you're going to pass that legacy on to others. Yeah, and at $5 million, you are, you are in a position where you should. Uh, it's time for an elder law estate planning. Absolutely. Attorney to start uh, handing this off to the charities and the like you want to see get it in a way that works for the whole family. Yeah. All right. Or others. Now, can we leave? That's great stuff, Don. And on the fly, so proud of you. 
Really? Yeah. I mean, it, no joking. This is it's because I have big. a you know a computer in front of me ah, and okay, that's a how browser that and a keyboard. <laughs> I would and, be scared. I'd be scared to touch mine right now. That something would you're go. You're always wrong. afraid would, to touch technology. <laughs> it would be something would blow Before up, and we that would did be this a, today. <laughs> they were like, he was panicking. I can't get on. I can't. I can't connect everything. I said, "What's going is on?" Well, plugged well, in. <laughs> New cable. Oh, there's the buzzing's gone. No, Why can't I hear my audio? Cable, new cable, audio's on. Yeah. If in doubt, check, check the cable. Check the cables. I feel so much better. And when I'm driving home, my car stops, check the cables. Same thing. Yeah. Probably considering it's now a computer. Wife check tells me what I'm doing wrong. Check the cables. Check. Oh, always check her cables. Okay. That's very personal, but I'll go I there. Know. Okay. Thank you all. I don't know what that means because we're apparently, yeah. When The longer we go past 20 minutes, the worse the podcast gets. So we apologize uh, for this, uh, this, this digression here at the end, and we're going to leave. I'm Don. That's Tom. And seriously, we are going to be talking real money. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast were current on the date recorded. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, including any forward-looking estimates or statements which are based on certain expectations and assumptions. Although information and opinions given have been obtained from or based on sources believed to be reliable, no warranty or representation is made as to their correctness, completeness, or accuracy. Information presented on the podcast is not personalized investment advice from Appella Wealth. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for everyone. This podcast does not identify all the risks, direct or indirect, or other considerations which might be material to you when entering any financial transaction. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and profitable results cannot be guaranteed. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. The podcast is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by a Appella Wealth, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Please see Appella Wealth's ADV Part 2A on our website for information regarding Appella's fees and services. Appella Capital, LLC, DBA Appella Wealth, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in the states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration with the SEC or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Appella does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing either stated or implied here should be inferred as providing such advice. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and important disclosure related to performance of any specific index or fund quoted in this podcast. And the lawyers get richer.